So, uh, hey, real quick, uh, let me just, uh, we've, been doing, we've been doing a study going through the book of Matthew. And uh, right now, what we see, beginning in Matthew 21 through 28, those eight chapters cover a time frame of eight days in the ministry of Jesus. So it covers from the time of his triumphal entry, when he came into Jerusalem, all the way to the, t- the day of his resurrection. And so what we're doing is week by week, as we're moving towards Easter, we are taking uh, each of those chapters. So last week we looked at Matthew chapter 21, and in Matthew 21 we see Jesus entering uh, into Jerusalem with crowds of people uh, praising him, saying things like, Hosanna, son of David. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then what Jesus does is he goes into the temple, and it's, 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 it's also the week of Passover and, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it was a time when Jerusalem was just packed with people. Uh, it's just like wall-to-wall people everywhere. And what Jesus does is he goes into Jerusalem, the most crowded city in Israel, the most crowded time of year, and then he goes into uh, the, the court of the Gentiles and the temple courts, and he begins to turn over these tables. And he begins to say that my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den for thieves. And this really upset the Jewish leaders. And so we're looking at today at, at Matthew chapter 22, and what we see is an escalation of conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. Before, whenever Jesus would do miracles, he would tell people, don't tell anybody about this. But now, it's like Jesus is, is, he is commanding that everybody uh, put their eyes on him. And, uh, and that's kind of where we're at. Now, um, I grew up in Arkansas. Most of you all know that. I grew up in Arkansas, spent a little time in Texas, and most of my family lives in Arkansas and Texas. And so if you are from Arkansas or if you are from Texas, then you have a cousin, Stevan, okay? You have a cousin, Stevan, or if you don't have a cousin, Stevan, you have a cousin like Stevan. And so what, 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 what that looks like is something like this. See, I, I have a, a cousin, Stevan, and what that looks like is uh, by California standards, you might think of my cousin, as being a redneck. You might think of me as a redneck, and I, I, I have a little bit of a redneck heart, okay? Um, and, uh, and you might think of him as being a little bit of, uh, of a redneck, which means he owns guns, several, okay? And a few other things, all right? Uh, and, uh, and also, uh, but he's not just a, a redneck, but a redneck who loves Jesus. I hope Stephen doesn't listen to this message. <laughs> if you do, please give me a little grace, all right? So my cousin, Stevan, I, I, I love him. I love my cousin. He was my best man in our wedding. I was his best man at his wedding. But, but you, you kind of have to understand, Stevan uh, can sometimes have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, all right? And, uh, but he truly loves Jesus. And to be honest with you, I know very few people who've memorized more Scripture than Stevan has. So he has a genuine love for Jesus. But he's still a little bit of that, a little bit of that redneck spirit. And uh, so one day, he's driving down the road in Texas, and he gets pulled over by the highway patrol. And uh, and you you have to understand that uh, a, a lo- and this is not uncommon. This is not uncommon. 
but some rednecks like to drive with their guns in their cars, okay? When I was a kid, when I was a kid, I used to do that, okay? I, when I was a young man, I was driving across the country. If I was in places where I, I was concerned about the safety of it, I, I kept one underneath my seat. I did. I mean, it was just, it was kind of part of what we did, and we weren't out looking for trouble or anything like that, but it was just kind of a, it, it was a common practice. It was a common practice. So my cousin, driving down the free, freeway, gets pulled over by the highway patrol, and the highway patrolman uh, comes up to his window and uh, asks to see his driver's license. And, uh, and he looks at his license, and he looks at his name, Steven Spurgers, and uh, he looks at Steven to make sure it's him. And he says, uh, Mr. Spurgers, uh, do you have a gun? And, uh, and Steven, uh, being a man of integrity, not wanting to mislead an officer of the law, says uh, he, he pauses for a moment because he's not sure what's going to happen. Uh, but he looks at the officer and he says, uh, yes, sir, I do. And, uh, and the officer says, well, um, Mr. Spurgers, is your weapon loaded? And Steven pauses for a moment, and he's kind of thinking about this. How I answer this question <laughs> could be not good, all right? But again, remember, Steven, he's not just a redneck. He's a, a redneck who loves Jesus. And not wanting to mislead an officer of the law, the, the officer asks, is your weapon loaded? Steven looks up, makes eye contact with the, with the police officer, and says, he says, Officer, what good is it if it isn't? <laughs> Have you ever asked, had someone ask you a question that after they asked it, you felt really, really awkward? Maybe it was a hard question. Maybe it was a question you didn't want to answer. Maybe it was a question you didn't know how to answer. Today what I want us to do is I want us to look at texts of Scripture where Jesus has asked a series of questions that are, quite frankly, very difficult. And I want us to look at how Jesus responded to hard questions. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to open up to Matthew chapter 21, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to, we're going to read a, a fairly long text of Scripture. But I think it's important. I think it's important, and I just want to read it for us if I can, all right? So Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. It says, uh, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. Now remember uh, that Jesus had come into the city. He had come in, all these people praising him, saying things like, Hosanna, son of David. And this was something that was very, very upsetting uh, for the religious leaders of Israel. And then he goes into the temple, and he clears out the temple. And so what, what's, what's happening in this text is we have a group of people who are very, very unhappy with Jesus. And sometimes people who are enemies, if you have group A who are enemies with group B, but if they have a common enemy, you know, group C, sometimes group A and group B will kind of get over their, uh, their conflict with one another long enough that they can eliminate group C. That's kind of what's happening here. It's kind of what's happening here is we've got two groups of people. One of them are the Pharisees. The other one are the Herodians. 
And just so you're kind of uh, clued in a little bit about who the Herodians are, the Bible doesn't talk about them a lot, but basically these were people who were Roman sympathizers. Uh, And if you were Jewish and you were a Roman sympathizer, you were not well-liked. And they were supporters of King Herod. And so the Herodians, uh, they had some vested interest in Roman taxation because they benefited from it. Uh, The Pharisees, on the other hand, despised the Romans. They despised having to use Roman coinage. Because on a Roman coin, you would have an image on it. On that that coin, that denarius, there was an image of Caesar. And if you were Jewish and you saw that image, one of the commandments was you shall not have any graven image. That was one of the Ten Commandments. And for them, this was idolatrous. In fact, if you go to Israel today, it's really interesting, is there's a statue of David uh, in in the middle part of uh, Jerusalem. And if you go there... Uh, the, the image has been defaced. Someone chiseled off uh, part of the face. And in, you, you might find this interesting, but the people who chiseled off his face were Jews. Because for them, it's like having uh, an image that you're not supposed to have an image of. So they're very offended by this. And so what happens is you have a group of Pharisees and you have a group of Herodians and they come together and it says the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words they sent their disciples to Jesus along with the Herodians teacher they said we know that you're a man of integrity when someone starts buttering you up this is not a real compliment this is flattery this is they're going to trap Jesus or at least try to Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity, that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you know you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, at this point in time, there is no right answer to this question. It's kind of like, Is your weapon loaded? There's no right answer. See, if Jesus says, yeah, yeah, we should pay taxes, uh, the Jews are going to despise him for this. Uh, And if he says, well, no, you shouldn't pay your taxes, uh, they would love to hear that one because that means the Romans are going to kill him. And so they've got him, what they feel like, they've got his back against the wall. Tell us then, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now see, the thing is is that that on the denarius there was the image of Caesar. But on you, on you and on me, there is the image of God. See, the Bible tells us that you were created, that I was created in the image of God. And that our ultimate allegiance belongs to him. 
Verse 22 says, When they heard this, when the Jews, when the Pharisees, the Herodians heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Verse 23. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, real quickly, the Sadducees are very, very different from the Pharisees. Very, very different from the Herodians. The Sadducees only believe in the first five books of the Old Testament. They believe in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They don't believe, did not believe, in the rest of the Old Testament. They do not believe, did not believe, that there would be a future resurrection. They believed that when you died, they were materialists. They believed that when you died, that was the end. You're finished, you're done. There's nothing more to you. Okay? You'll never have another memory, another thought. You are extinct forever for all of eternity. That's what they believe. They also believe that there were no angels. And so the Sadducees, they come to Jesus... And they say, um, they, they came to him with a question, and they said this, Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. You got this? A man is married to a woman. The man dies, but the woman doesn't have any children. The brother of the man who died is now obligated to marry the widow and to give her children in his older brother's name. Uh, teacher, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for her, or for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing ha- happened to the second and the third, and right down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seventh, since all of them were married to her? So you get the idea here? They're they're wanting to show Jesus how ridiculous Jesus is and other people are to believe in the resurrection. Only an idiot would believe in the resurrection if seven men have been married to the same woman because she can't possibly be the wife of seven men when she's in heaven. And so from their perspective, they have logically backed Jesus into a corner and Uh, Only a fool would believe in the resurrection after listening to their faultless logic. That's kind of what's happening here. Uh, Jesus replied, he says, and and, and I love what Jesus does here. Uh, Jesus isn't really polite sometimes. He really isn't. I mean, if you just kind of read through the Gospels, every once in a while, when you read it, you look and you think, I think there may have been a little edge in the words of Jesus there. Okay? Okay. And, and what, what Jesus does is, um, he says, you are in error. You are mistaken because you do not know the scriptures. Now, when you say that to a Sadducee, what you are saying is, is, is extremely offensive. You don't know the scriptures. You don't know your head from your butt. Okay? That's basically what Jesus is saying here. That's in the Greek, Okay? You're in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. Now, Jesus isn't saying we're going to be angels when we die. But he's saying that we'll be like angels, meaning that there will no longer be people getting married and procreation the way we do, that, that life in the resurrection will be fundamentally different from life here on earth. And, and he says... He says uh, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be, be given in marriage. You know, Joy and I, we've had a talk about this. I've said, you know, I know we'll no longer be married, but at least 
at least continue to speak to me when we go to heaven. Would you do that, please? And, and he says, um, he says uh, they will be like the angels in heaven. Then verse 31, he says this, But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? And what he does is he goes right back to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, because that's where the Sadducees hang their hat uh, on matters like the resurrection. And so what he's doing is he's taking them right back to the text of Scripture that they agree with, and he talks to them about where God comes to Moses and where God appears to Moses. And, and he quotes from the book of Exodus and it, where God says to Moses, I am, not I was, I am the God of Abraham. Now, at the time of Moses, Abraham had been dead for close to 500 years. Okay? Well over 400 years and close to 500 years. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, who died roughly 400 years before Moses. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He, God, is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And what, 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 what Jesus is saying is that, that, uh, that it's obvious that there is a re- resurrection because God is the God of the living and not of the dead, and that there is a place for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the resurrection. The Scripture says, verse 33, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they kind of get up their nerve again, remember the Pharisees. The Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And uh, this is the first and foremost greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so what Jesus does is he goes right back to what's called the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And one of the things that that the Jews would quote to to themselves every day, every morning and every evening, is they would quote the Shema in in Deuteronomy 6, which... says this, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And so this was something that the Jews quoted every day, every morning, every evening uh, of their lives. And he's saying that's the great, the foremost commandment. And then he quotes from Leviticus, Love your neighbors yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, and here they've been asking Jesus question after question after question. And now what Jesus is going to do is he's going to turn uh, the tables on them. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Now, you know who Messiah is, the Christ? What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And the Pharisees replied, the son of David. The son of David. In fact, remember, as Jesus was entering Jerusalem, what were people saying to him? Hosanna, son of David. And over and over again, Jesus has been called the son of David through the gospel of Matthew. And, and so he's asking them this question, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? 
the son of David, they replied. And he said to them, how is it then that David speaking by the Spirit calls him, calls the Messiah, Lord? And then what, what Jesus does is he quotes from Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110, David is writing, and David writes these words, The Lord said to my Lord. Okay, real quick, anybody know Hebrew? No. Okay, that's all right. Neither do I. I studied it, but I don't know it. All right? Uh, if you go back to Psalm chapter uh, to 110, if you have a, a Hebrew interlinear, you'll see that, that what the Scripture says, the Lord, Yahweh, have you ever heard of Yahweh before? Okay, that's one Hebrew word for Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, Adonai. So you have one Lord speaking to another Lord, but in both cases speaking of divine beings. And this for a Jew feels a little bit strange. How is it that one divine being is speaking to another divine being? And he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then Jesus asked this very, very powerful question. If then David calls Messiah Lord, how can the Messiah be a son? Now, one could say, uh, in, in, in the scriptures, in verse 46, it says, No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Interesting text. Okay? Interesting text. How do you answer a question, when someone asks you a really hard question, you don't know how to answer. Uh, what we see in this text, and, and I'm going to see, I, I, I tried to put this together in the form of a slide, and it didn't come together the way I wanted it to. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to show you this on a whiteboard, if I can. And, and then hopefully, hopefully, as you see this, I can kind of make a point here for you. Uh, that will kind of make, pull this all together. So what happens in this text is that uh, the enemies of Jesus are asking him a series of trick questions. You get that? They're trying to ask him, they're trying to, what did the scripture say? It says, uh, at the very first, it says, they laid plans to what? To trap him, to trap him in his words. The whole intent of this is, is, have you ever been asked a really hard question? And it was an honest question from a person who's honestly seeking and wanting to know about God. Have you ever been asked a question from someone who really doesn't want to believe in God? And the whole point of their question is to try to point out your foolishness for believing. You ever have that kind of an experience? Well, so did Jesus. All right? So did Jesus. And so what happens is they're asking a series of trick questions. Number one, should we pay taxes to Caesar? All right? Anybody love paying taxes? Do you understand if it's not fun for us, it was harder for them? Because the, the, the interesting thing about this particular tax, if you look again at your scripture, if you look, if you have an NIV, it calls it the imperial tax. See, this was a tax that Roman citizens didn't pay. Okay? Let's pretend for a moment that Arkansas rules all of the United States. And we Californians have to pay three times the taxes they do. Oh, by the way, in real life, that's true, all right? <laughs> we have to pay three times the taxes that they do, and basically those taxes are not serving us, it's serving them. 
You, you get that sense. Okay? Uh, so they, they, we trick question number one. Trick question number two, a woman was married to seven brothers. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? If I were her, I wouldn't want to be raised, all right? So in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Again, trick question. Uh, and, and then we trick question number three. And, and this one, actually, if there's an honest one, I think this would probably be it, okay? I think of the three questions, this is the one that has the most integrity. But what they ask is they, they, they're asking, and remember, just so you're, you're clear on this, the Pharisees believed that the Old Testament, uh, that if you read through the Old Testament, as you read through it, if you sit down and if, if you were to read through the entire Old Testament, and if you were to write out every commandment given in the Old Testament, after you wrote out all the commandments, they added it up, and the number was 613. Anybody here want to be able to keep not just the Ten Commandments, but 613 commandments? And so for them, they were very strict, and they were trying to obey all these laws. See, that's what's going on here. The Pharisees were trying to obey these 613 commandments. See, they, because they believed, this is what they believed. If you didn't keep these commandments, you're going to hell. You're going to go to hell. I, I don't know about you guys, but, but I have a hard time keeping one commandment. <laughs> Staying under the speed limit. When I was a kid, I remember, I, I was a kid, I, I remember a young follower of Jesus. I was really trying real, real hard to please God in everything I did. And for me, the symbol of pleasing God and all that I did was this one area that I really struggled with, trying to keep my car below the speed limit. And you have to understand that, like Tom Cruise, I felt the need for speed, okay? Top Gun, all right? Uh, I, you know, I, you know uh, I felt the need for speed. It was kind of like, I mean, I don't like doing anything slowly. I'll, I'm just going to tell you the truth. That's not who I am. If you talk to my kids about walking through the mall, I'm, I, don't, I don't stroll. I, I don't. I mean, I, my kids have complained about that what I would do is I'd put my hand behind their neck and kind of gently shove them, you know, wherever we're going because, because I am a goal-driven, you get there as fast as you can. Being idle is a waste of time. It's a sin. You know, that, and, and that's just kind of my bent is I was, I've lived my life in a hurry. And some, to some degree, I think I've slowed down a little bit, but I still kind of struggle with that. And so I remember as a kid, I was trying so hard to keep my... Uh, my, my car below the speed limit. And what would happen is, is that, you know, if the speed limit was 45 and I was at a stop stoplight, the moment that light turned green, I guarantee you, the guy next to me, I was in a Volkswagen, he was in a GTO, did not matter. I left him in the dust, all right, that I was full speed as fast as I could right till I got to 45, and now it slowed down, everybody passing me up. You don't understand how much I despise being passed. I'm a little bit competitive as well as goal-oriented, okay? And so I don't like being passed. And so what would happen is I wanted so much to, to, for one day, just one day, be able to keep my car under the speed limit. And what would happen is inevitably I would get one mile an hour above the speed limit, and I'd say, oh, what the heck. I've already blown it. It just take off as fast as I could. And, you know, what I found is I could never 
live a day trying to just keep one very, very simple commandment. And what these guys were doing is they were trying to keep 613 commandments, and they believed their eternal salvation was on the line. And so what they're looking for is just one commandment that they can keep. So what does Jesus do? Is He's asked three trick questions, but he gives three wise answers. The first answer that Jesus gives is to render or um, is to render or to give to Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, uh, and to God what is God's. Now, when we read the book of Matthew. And this is what happens for some of us sometimes, is we're reading and we're paying really close attention to everything except for one thing. And the one thing that we're not paying attention to is context. And and some of you will say, no, 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 I always pay attention to the context. The context of this statement is Jesus with his enemies. Is that correct? Is that what it is? Or is the context of this statement, Matthew, with early Christians. Who wrote the Gospel of Matthew? The right answer is Matthew, okay? That's not a trick question, all right? I know we're talking about trick questions today. That wasn't one of them, okay? Early Christians. But then there's another context here. It's, it's you, it's you, and it's me. It's us. And sometimes what happens is we'll come to a text of Scripture and we are confusing context the context of Jesus with his enemies, the context of Matthew with the early disciples, the context of you and me today. And sometimes if we're not careful, we we begin to, um, we we kind of get what the scripture is saying and we kind of get how it applies to our lives, but sometimes we don't, um, we we can miss elements of what God is trying to, to, see, see, there is a so what to this for you. There's a now what for this to you. And what that means is that you have a holy obligation. You do. Responsibility. In, in our world today, people love to talk about my rights. You ever hear that? We like to talk about my rights more than we like to talk about my responsibility. What Jesus is saying is you have a responsibility as a citizen. A citizen of an earthly kingdom but you also have an obligation to God, a heavenly kingdom. I've I got to move this one on. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I just noticed this one. Okay? So we have, uh, we, we have uh, a trick question. We have a wise answer. We have a trick question. A woman was married to seven brothers uh, in the resurrection. Whose wife will she be? And, and the, the wise answer is, you are in error. You are mistaken. You do not know your head from your butt. Okay? Because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. Wow. Know the Scriptures. Know the power. This is something 
that was important for the early Christians in Matthew's day. But this is something that's important for you too. Because sometimes people love to study the Scriptures and may not know the power. Okay? Or sometimes people are, they love power and they want power and they want the power of the Holy Spirit, but they don't know the Scriptures. And we need to know the Scriptures and we need to know the power. Are you with me here? Okay, another quick question. Which is the most important commandment? And what does Jesus say? He says, love God. And he says, love your neighbor. You know, is that important today? Sometimes people can be very, very religious, but not always very loving of others. And what Jesus is saying, you can't love God without loving others, and you can't love others without loving God. Those two things go together. By the way, and you will never get to heaven by obeying the commandments of Jesus. Because anybody ever going to love God perfectly? No. No. It's not going to happen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Any of us ever withhold a little bit of our heart? A little bit of our mind? A little bit of our soul? Ever withhold a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So our salvation doesn't rest in our obedience. It rests in the obedience of Jesus who died for you and died for me. However, we still have a guiding principle in how we live. And that's a guiding principle of love. In all of this, there's one all-important question that Jesus speaks to. And this is in in verses, um, it's in in that section about uh, chapter, uh, actually, where is it at? I don't know. Um, uh, Well, it's kind of, it's not really one question, it's a couple questions. But, but, you know, in verse 41, Jesus asks a question, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And um, and how you answer this question, see, this whole conflict with Jesus really begins in chapter 21. And in chapter 21, there is a question. The question is this, by what authority do you do these things? That question is very important to understanding what we're reading in Matthew 22. By what authority, Jesus, do you do these things? By what authority do you enter this city riding on a donkey while people are proclaiming, Hosanna, Son of David? By what authority do you do that? How do you get away a peasant from Nazareth with being praised by these people? How do you, a peasant, redneck, from Nazareth, get away with walking into the temple courts, turning over tables, and calling the temple my house. How do you get away with that? By what authority do you do these things? The answer to this question is very, very simple. Yet they don't know the answer and they don't know how to answer it. How can the Messiah be the Lord of David and the Son of David? That's the essence of the question. And what has Matthew been telling us from the very beginning? He's been telling us that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born of a virgin. True, uh, the seed of Abraham, the son of David. That he is um, conceived by the Holy Spirit, fully God, therefore David's Lord. But born of a virgin, fully man, a descendant of David. And it's because he is the Messiah, fully God, fully man, that he has the authority to do the things that he does. Uh, there's a guy's name is Warren Wiersbe, and I'm going to close with this. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, making uh, a decision about Jesus Christ is a matter of life or death. It is. It's the most important decision you're ever going to make. Making a decision about Jesus Christ is a matter of life or death. The evidence is, is there for all to examine. We can examine it defensively and miss the truth, or we can examine it honestly and humbly. Uh, and discover the truth. We can believe and be saved. The religious leaders were so blinded by tradition. They were so blinded by position. They were so blinded by selfish pride that they could not and would not see the truth and receive it. We dare not make the same mistake today. There are a lot of questions that people can, can ask us. But the most important question that you've got to answer for yourself is the question that Jesus asked. And what we have to do is we have to decide, will we accept Jesus and all of his authority, being fully God and fully man, the Messiah, or will we not? Uh, You know, if you've never done that, I would love to sit down with you and talk with you more about it. If you would like to know more, anything more about what it means to follow Jesus, I would love to talk to you about it. Uh, In a moment, we're going to take our offering. I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up. But what I want to encourage you to do is that uh, when the offering comes around, we have these little slips, I don't know what what you call it, information slip that's on the bulletin. And what you can do is you can put down your name there, phone number, and you can say that you'd like to talk to me more about that. But if you would like to know more about following Jesus, I'd like to talk with you about that. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, today we want to praise you and worship you. Because you are the Messiah. You are the one who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. You are fully God, fully man. You are without sin. And you defeated the power of sin and death through your death and resurrection. And today we want to worship you and we want to praise you. Uh, and we want to, uh, to, 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 uh, to, to follow you. Uh, God, if there's anyone here today who hasn't yet made that decision, I pray that you would help them see the truth, the reality of who Jesus is. And I pray this in Christ's name.